Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Radio Red in the house. It's February 13th. Happy everybody. This is, let's see what day it is of the year. It's the 44th day of the year already. Shout out to Gregorian who created the calendar we still use. His mom didn't know he was a creative, but we think he was. 323 days left in the year. That means if you're looking for something special for New Year's Eve, I know, 2024, you've got plenty of time, but don't wait too long. Uh, I know Casey's going to be making homemade Kahlua, and I know that Tian, I'm talking about my guests, even though I haven't introduced them yet. Tiana's probably going to be um, making some kind of punch with something wonderful in it, and Kelly is going to get the still in the back of the house and make what used to called be called bootleg liquor. They all take a while for the flavors, so ladies, don't wait too long. And if you're going to be going to an online liquor store, get there early because everything's going to fly off the shelf. I have to do a shout-out to the one and only LLL. Ladies, I've rehearsed you just a little bit. I'm going to put up my fingers here and make this L sign. On the count of three, we're going to say hello, LLL. One, two, three. Hello, LLL. Josh is my aunt. Josh, I'm going to vote for them as the 99, 99.9% on in sync on that one. Probably the best ladies, the best we've ever had. We do this every week. LLL is lovely, lanky Laura Legg. She lives in Whitestone, New York. I've been trying to create a fake GoFundMe for years to move her to London, but it was very hot there last year and last summer and last year. So we're trying to move her to someplace with an L. I voted for Larchmont and she didn't like that. It's really not classy enough. Sorry, Larchmont. We're just talking here. So if ladies, if you have any suggestions of an L place to go with LLL, lovely lanky Laura legs from with the L, I'm I'm happy to accept your, your suggestions. So here we are and read my lips. This is a show about creativity. As far as I'm concerned, everybody is creative. It doesn't matter whether you're a woodworker, a painter, a dancer, a singer, a director, an artist, an inventor, you're still creative. You create your life. You create how you get up in the morning, what you wear, what you look like, how you answer the phone, what career choices you've made, what your lifestyle is, how you decorated your house, how you raised your family, or you were part of a family. We're all creating. To me, life is an improv, and that's what we're going to talk about. I have three wonderful guests here with me today. By the way, ladies, I have three ladies today. Any of you an Aquarius? Anybody born from January 20th to the February 18th? No? Okay. Well, if you know any Aquarians, they're impetuous, unpredictable, stubborn, humanitarian, altruistic, and they love to help others. Saturday is their day of the week. Turquoise is their favorite color. I don't see any turquoise today, so I think we're safe. And they are associated with the planet Saturn and the element air. Their lucky numbers are 3, 4, 17, 18, 22. If you don't win the scratch off, don't blame me. There we go. So let me tell you who my special guests are. And ladies, just let's wave hello to Facebook. I'm looking at us. We're all there. Facebook, audience. We're happy to see you. We're delighted. First up, I'm going to tell you in a minute, she'll introduce herself. But first up, I have three very strong creatives. 
very directed, very focused, very on purpose ladies. So Kelly Florence, just wave hello until I call on you in a second. She's the co-author of a series of novels called The Science Of. Maybe they're not novels. She'll tell us more about them, including Women in Horror. That's the one that grabbed me from the long list you sent me. And she's the creator of the Horror Rewind podcast. She also happens to be a college communications professor. Kelly, delighted to have you. And a shout out. Oh, somebody just got a message. A shout out to Mickey Mickelson, who is your PR person who introduced you to me. So thank you, Mickey. Then we have Tiana Sanchez. Tiana, wave hello. She is the CEO and founder of the TSI LLC talent and leadership development firm. She's the host of a podcast called Like a Real Boss, and she means it so much. Real is in capital letters, R-E-A-L. And she's the author of Undefeatable and a book called Effed Up. You can all fill in the blanks. We don't say that here. The Upside of Failure. That's very optimistic. Thank you, Tiana. Welcome to the show. And then we have KC Griffin. KC, wave hello. And she might tell us what KC stands for. I don't know. Griffin is G-R-I-F-A-N-T if you're looking. She writes hard she writes fantasy. She writes sci-fi. She writes weird West stories. She writes for podcasts, for anthologies, for magazines, and she has written for the Stoker-nominated Fright Mare Women Write Horror. Casey also threw it to us through Mickey Mickelson, and Tiana comes to us through Liz H. Kelly from Goody PR, who I met at the National Publicity Summit. Liz was on the show a couple times a year or two ago as well, Tiana. So welcome, ladies. I'm calling this episode Women in Charge creativity. I didn't say of creativity. I'm categorized. I try to pick a category every week that mirrors my guess, what your strengths are. Women in charge creativity. That's a much stronger title. So let's go around the table. I'm going to put you on speaker view. Kelly, Florence, you're up first. I'd love for you to spend about three minutes and fill in the blanks. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Go ahead. Yes. So I'm Kelly Florence. I'm born and raised in Minnesota. I live in Duluth, which is Northern Minnesota. Ever since I was little, I loved scary things. I remember hearing the story of Bigfoot in first grade, and that sparked my interest in learning about spooky things and watching scary movies. And my best friend and I are co-authors of several books, and we write about scary things. We write about uh, the science of uh, horror movies, books, TV shows, you name it, we write about it. So these are not novels, Kelly. These are these are books about. I wasn't sure when I read the list. Very, very impressive. Tell, give us some background. What got you started on this? That sounds like a lot of work, and it sounds very interesting, a lot of research. And how did you partner up with this person? Give us a little more. Come on. Sure. So my best friend and I met 23 years ago, and we uh, bonded over our mutual love of the TV show, The X-Files. And we realized every week we were talking about the real science horror, true crime, mystery, history that we were watching in horror movies on our podcast, Horror Rewind. And we're like, you know, this is a really good idea for a book. So our first book, The Science of Monsters, um, described all of those tropes, like like vampires and zombies. And then we explored women in horror in our second book. And we just learned about all of these things that sometimes truth is scarier than fiction. And and we're we're bringing that science, uh, looking through this lens of science in the horror community. And it hasn't been done before. Very, very interesting. Would you say that because you're titling the series The Science Of, that you're bringing in encouraging young women to get involved in STEM. There's that word science, Kelly. Yes. Is, that a, is that a stretch or is that real? 
No, it's absolutely real. And we use a lot of research from the Gina Davis Institute for inclusion and diversity. They really believe in getting young women into STEM. And one of our, um, our heroes is Dana Scully from the X-Files, who was a chemist and a doctor on the show. And we found that connection really does reinforce what they called the Scully effect. Scientifically proven that more women got into these STEM fields after the X-Files. I'm impressed. I will tell you that women were not considered creatives in science years ago. And in my real life, I'm an early woman in tech, believe it or not, ladies. And I was coding on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 in COBOL, key punching 2,000 cards of code at a time and running programs for a big system for the state of Oregon. And I loved it. But the creativity came, and Kelly, you can appreciate this as a woman in STEM, the creativity came when I was told, write this report, code this report, make it happen. And I had a blank slate, basically, a tabula rasa. It was just a blank piece of paper. And I said, well, how am I going to design? How am I going to write that program? How am I going to give them the result they wanted? My code didn't look like anybody else's, nor theirs like mine, because we were creating. There was an element of almost what kind of poetry are you going to put in your code? In other words, how elegant would it be? Was it top down? Was it clean and lean and elegant? Or was it a mess like spaghetti? And we had people who coded spaghetti. So I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Kelly. Delightful to have you here. I'm so impressed with what you've done. And I didn't really know that from your bio. And now I do. And I'm glad. Let's move around the table. Tiana Sanchez. And Tiana has a certified women-owned business, woman-owned business. And I'm proud to know that as well. Tiana, I'm putting you on speaker view. Please regale us with your full background. Who are you? Well, I have to say I'm not an Aquarius, but a Pisces because my birthday is this month. It is on the 28th. So that you still have someone in the room who has a birthday this month. So <laughs> I was born in the year of the dragon, believe it or not, and the year that they had a leap year. So thankfully, my mother gave birth and I didn't have to be born and celebrate my birthday every four years. So I'm grateful to my mother for that. Uh, but I was born and raised in, in Southern California to um, two parents who were, you know, born, raised up in the 60s. I was a middle child. So any middle kids out there, you probably know just the middle child syndrome is very real and alive. Um, but I grew up um, with my family, very close knit family, but we, you know, we didn't have a lot, you know, not even middle class. We were, we were below middle class, whatever that was not quite poverty, but certainly struggling as a family um, at a very young age, parents divorced. And so, you know, I became very independent um, as a teenager. I worked really hard and I played uh, sports. I played basketball in high school. I also danced and believe it or not, I didn't think that I would end up where I am today. My dream was a choreographer. I love Janet Jackson. I mean, anytime we caught that video on TV, my sister and I would get up there, we would memorize, rehearse all of the steps. And, and that was our, that was our Saturday. That was our, you know, every day we loved doing that. So I, I really didn't think that I would be doing what I am today, but I landed um, my second job ever um, working at a little company called Hot Dog on a Stick. Now, I don't know where you all are from, but Hot Dog on a Stick was started in Santa Monica, California, and it has been around for like over 75 years. And it basically is the equivalent to an In-N-Out, but with corn dogs. Okay. So just imagine that. Um, instead of shakes, we had lemonade and we had really cool uniforms and kind of funky hats. And so I spent probably about seven or eight years working at Hot Dog on a Stick, but that is where I got to experience leadership. And I saw women in leadership positions and I didn't know that that's not how it really was, you know, because 90% of the women I worked with were, were, were leaders and they were women. And it wasn't until I got out in the real world, I saw that wasn't quite the picture. 
but I went on, um, kind of climbed that career ladder, if you will, started working in the financial industry, kind of happened and the crisis hit and I was out of a job. And I said, well, what do I want to do? Work for myself or go work for somebody else? I opted for working for myself. And 12 years later, still in the business, um, have my my firm, have consultants that work with me, um, award-winning programs. And so we're thriving and it's, you know, it's a great story. So here we are. It is a great story. And how did you come to meet Liz Kelly? Can I ask that, Liz H. Kelly? Quick story yes. about that? Yes. So one of my guests on her show, she reached out to me on my Like a Real Boss, Caps on the Real um, Boss podcast. Um, one of her clients at the time was a guest she was pitching for my show, and he was fantastic, loved his episode. And so when I started to say, hey, I think, I think I'm ready for, the, for someone to help me with my you know, PR, I reached out to her. She was one of the first people that I reached out to. And thankfully, she was taking on clients, and I was a good fit for her. And that's how we, how we connected. Very nice. Thank you very much. Always nice to see Liz at the Publicity Summit. And now let's go around the table. Casey Griffin, so happy to have you here. Tell us who you are. What do you do? Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show, Red. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm an author based in Southern California, uh, actually originally from the East Coast, moved out here about nine years ago. And um, I've always written horror, fantasy, science fiction ever since I was a kid. Um, actually, like Kelly, I grew up on the X-Files and wrote X-Files fan fiction and kind of from there started writing my own horror sci-fi stories. Um, and my debut novel just came out actually this month. It's called Melinda West Monster Gunslinger from Bridges Gate Press. And it's a weird Western novel, so it kind of merges Westerns and uh, fantasy elements, monsters. Uh, so super fun and very excited to have a novel out after you know years of writing. Um, I've had many short stories out in anthologies, podcasts, and magazines, as you mentioned. And that's been really fun, but there's something special about a novel, having it out. So um, super excited about that. And I actually work in science communications in my day job. Um, and from that, sometimes I get inspiration for sci-fi stories. Uh, and I co-founded the chapter of the Horror Writers Association here in San Diego. And we have a thriving horror author community, which has also been really wonderful to connect with. Love. Wow. Very, very interesting question for you, Casey. Define horror genre for me. How horrible is it? Are we talking blood and drippy stuff? Or are we talking about crimes that would just curl your whatever you've got that's curlable? What 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 is horror today, especially in the genre you've written? And congratulations. Let's all give her a round of applause for her first novel. I'm sure that was a lot of work, a lot of effort, and and I'm very, very happy for you. Casey, give me a little more about what how do you define the horror genre? What fits, what doesn't? Sure. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people think of horror as what you've described, kind of the shock, visceral, gory, bloody, uh, whatnot. And that's definitely a big part of horror, but there's so much more, right? There's uh, what's called quiet horror, where it's more supernatural, gothic horror. Um, and Kelly, I'm sure you have thoughts on this too, so feel free to chime in. But uh, I personally prefer horror that is not too gory. It's It just makes me a little too anxious to deal with that. So I like horror that's more monster based um especially like the aliens trilogy that's one of my favorites you know there's some gore there but it's more about the alien the idea the monster the characters uh so that's personally my favorite type of horror but it encompasses such a range and it's so much more than just kind of the the gore and the blood and the guts and the crime although that is you know fun and can be very um cathartic in some ways mm -hmm. 
but there's a lot more than that as well. And how would you describe your heroine, monster gunslinger? What does she look like? Does she have a holster? Does she have a rifle? Does she she wear chaps? Does she dress in leather? I don't know. I can't see the full cover of the book. She has a cool hat on, though. Just give us a quick bio. What does she look like? Sure. Yeah. So she actually started with um, the idea of the stoic gunslinger that's usually, you know, a, a guy. So I wanted to do that as a female character. So she has the long duster, the hat, the guns. Um, She's a woman of not many words, but, you know, uh, full of action, very brave, um, does what needs to be done when faced with monsters. Thank you very much. Kelly, you you were summoned by Casey briefly on the genre of horror since you're studying the science of any comments on horror writers or or what fits that genre. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Like like Casey said, a lot of times people will just immediately think of an 80s cheesy slasher movie, which they can be fun, but horror encompasses so much more. The psychological thrillers, um, the human monsters, exploring complicated characters on the worst day of their life and seeing that on film or TV or reading it in a book, it really builds empathy, I think, in the horror genre. And Mm -hmm. you just get to see and imagine how would I handle this situation, even if it's completely supernatural. It's a way to get you thinking about yourself and your own skills. Interesting. Is there a crossover between the murder genre and the horror genre? Anybody? Just quickly. I don't want to go too deep into this, but I'm curious. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of true crime um, has inspired horror movies and horror villains. Okay. I just started watching Poker Face, the new show on Peacock. And she can tell the tell in anybody on whether they're lying just by watching them speak. And she apparently goes from place to place around the country, the story goes, at small card games and cleans up because she knows when somebody is lying about poker face, what they've got in their hand. And now she becomes, shall we say, a very amateur detective in murders that happen right around her, near her. And she is becoming like an adjunct, even though nobody wants to consider to the police. But each show, they say you can watch the series out of order, other than the first one, because each one is in a different locale where she's running away from somebody who doesn't want her around who who shot her she's bleeding and she's driving from place to place and each one is a self-contained murder but the murders are creepy they're really creepy and you see the murder being committed and then they go back in time 24 hours and you see how she got to that location and how she learned about it and decides to pitch it it's a little bit strange i bought a subscription to peacock so i could watch this and i think i'm gonna end my subscription at the end of the month anyway no comment there uh, i don't usually give tv reviews but once in a while so there you go ladies thank you so so wonderful to meet you uh, let me just go to tiana because we've been i've been talking to the two ladies about writing it about horror do you have any favorite genre as you like to read, Tiana? I, my favorite is actually behind me, one of my, and I don't even know what, what you would consider it, what genre, but it's the author, which is Malcolm Gladwell. And I love, love, love. My son was here with me yesterday. We were looking at books because every semester he has to read five new books every semester at school. And so we're looking at different books we have here. And, and I said, and Malcolm, you can't see it, but where my camera's angled at the very, he has his own shrine. So all of my Malcolm Gladwell books are just very neatly up there. Um, So I love those um, kinds of books. I do like um, nonfiction books as well. I usually am reading about three books at a time, uh, a business-based book, oftentimes a faith-based book, and and usually um, uh, a book by uh, an African-American author. And so I'm usually keeping about three books right now in Audible as well. So, But those are the books that I like to read. 
Thank you. And question for you. I don't usually do an interview on the show, but I'm fascinated by the three of you. I just want to know a little more. Casey, how many hours a day do you write? Or you said your book is a long time in coming. How many months, years, or decades did it take you to write The Gunslinger? First one. Um, so the book actually was not too long in writing it. I started it at the beginning of the pandemic when I had all of this free time. And the characters were based on short stories that I had written and published before. So they were kind of fully formed already, just kind of going on this epic adventure. Um, currently, I don't try to write a certain number a day, only because I have a newborn and a five-year-old. So every day is a little Mazel different. Tov, yes. <laughs> so what I try to do is write uh, a bit every week. So 1,000, 2,000. I don't stress myself about the word count, but try to get at least a little bit every week. So I'm making some progress. Thank you, you brave mommy. You, Kelly, how long do you write a day, a week, a month, a year? What's your story? Uh, yeah, I try to write a little bit every day. Again, it depends. Mother of two also and full-time teacher. So if I'm not writing, I'm probably grading papers or making dinner. <laughs> Well, I have no excuse that my thriller comedy novel has been sitting here for a year and a half, but I've decided I, I am using a pen name because if people knew I was the writer of it, they'd be very mad at me. It's a very sarcastic look at homeowners associations. Let's <laughs> leave it at that. And it's it's just loaded. I mean, the characters in it are just, but there's a murder. And I got so busy having fun with the comedy, with the slashing, basically, of, of this this thing that I forgot to put a detective in it. And I forgot to solve the murder or prove that it really wasn't a murder. So um, I'll tell you all after the show what I'm what I'm doing with it. Now I'm adding pages to consider to put in it, but I'm not writing it yet. I'm, I'm doing my research. Let's just call it research. Ladies, let's go to the part of the show here. I'm so, so fascinated by the three of you. I've asked each of you to send me a fictional quote from a character in a movie or a TV show or a song lyric that has nothing to do particularly about the word creativity, which is our theme. And you're going to tell us how it makes you feel about creativity in your life or in general. And Kelly Florence, by the way, is that two first names or is Florence, a real last name. May I ask? It is a real last name. It's my husband's last name. And it's, I guess, of English origin. People okay. always say it's Italian, but it's it's British. That's because Florence. Okay, Kelly Florence. Very interesting. You've sent us a quote from Angelus, or Angelus, played by David Boreanaz. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 1998, season two, episode 17, called Passion, aired on February 24th. It's almost anniversary time, 1998. Uh, Angelus, am I pronouncing his name right, Kelly? Yep. Okay, Angelus, he says, it hurts sometimes more than we can bear. If we could live without passion, maybe we'd know some kind of peace, but we would be hollow, empty rooms, shuttered and dank. Without passion, we'd be truly dead. And that was the quote you selected, without passion, we'd be truly dead. I'm not going to go into the whole history of the show, but I will tell everybody, if you haven't heard of it, if you're too young or too old, it's part of a TV series from the late 90s, early 2000s, Strong Female Characters. There we go. And the series and its spinoff, Angel, has been, been called the Buffyverse. There we go. So, Kelly, talk to me. How'd you find this one? And what does it have to do with creativity? Go ahead. Yeah, this is one of also one of my favorite shows of all time. And I recently rewatched the show with my son, introducing it to him. He's going to turn 16 next month. And I thought that was an appropriate age to, to watch the show. And that quote stuck out to me because it's, it kind of, it really feel, is how I feel. I want to share my passions with the world. And I feel like we're all passionate about something 
whether it be a genre, whether it be our faith, whether it be our jobs or a hobby. And I think that we really need to look at those things in our lives that we are passionate about and find creativity in them. And it makes life worth living and sharing it with others. Very beautifully put. I've had guests recently who talk about courageous creativity and curiosity leading to creativity. I'm always looking at ways to define it, not to pigeonhole it, put it in a box. It's only one thing. But creativity, you're right, it's part of our passion for how do we create what we do, who we are, what we look and sound like, how we spend our time in the time we have. That's it. It's really that. And I try to convince people that we're all improving it. You don't see me reading notes here, do you? Unless I'm reading a quote from something. I say to people, I didn't, I didn't pop out of my mom with a list of things I'm supposed to do in my life, although some people probably do. But we, we, weren't, we didn't follow this guidebook. Most of us didn't on what you're supposed to sound like and talk like and go to school, what you're supposed to dress like and who you're supposed to socialize with. We're told what not to do, but I don't think we get guidance in, often in what we were supposed to do. And if you look back, hopefully as creatives, we're figuring it out as we go along. That's creativity. That's the improv of life. Okay, let's go to Tiana has sent us a wonderful quote. It's a little one with five little tiny words in it. Yours was short too, Kelly. And this quote is from the song, uh, a song from the Broadway musical in 1975, The Wiz. And it was an R&B reinterpretation of L. Frank Baum's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And let's see what I can tell you. But that's all I'm going to say because I love the quote. I love this whole thing. And it was ease on down the road. And I'm dying to sing it, Tiana. I'm dying to I sing it. I think you should, Ray. I'd I think ki- you really I'd, should. I'd kill the show. Ease on down, <laughs> ease on down the road. That wasn't too bad, was it? Not at all. I feel like getting up and and doing the dance. (laughs) You can. You can't talk to us. How'd you pick this one? What does this have to do with creativity? This is this is interesting. Go ahead. Yes. Well, the movie itself, I mean, was just was a hugely creative depiction um, that, again, as you you know, kind of described, come came from the Wizard of Oz. But when I think of ease on down the road, you know, we look at our journey and our path to a lot of different things as that it's a journey, it's a path. You can take this road, you can take that road, um, and oftentimes we get caught up on the expectations that others have on us, right? And so it's like for me, I want to take my own path, want to take my own road, and when when you start releasing that expectation that you put on yourself or that comparison, it's like things can be a little bit less stressful. You can just have fun with it. You know, it should be smooth. It should be enjoyable. You know, that, that, that time that you have in whatever journey you're, you're on in that space. And so when I, when I think of that, it just kind of reminds me like, I'm going to get through this. It's going to be, I'm going to ease on down this path. I'm going to gingerly go down this route, take this journey. And that's kind of how I look at it. Very, very interesting. Well, some of us just end up speaking very loudly what we think our truth is, and not everybody likes it when you, uh, Casey is saying, yeah, I know about that. And when you walk into a room, you'll say, oh, no, there they are again. I didn't say she or he. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's very, very interesting. Wasn't it uh, part of Sheryl Sandberg's philosophy of leaning in? I don't know whether that was easing in or pushing in, and we don't have to talk about Sheryl Sandberg. But anyway, do you want to comment on that, Tiana, or should we let it go? I I don't know if that was a part of hers or not, so I'm just going to pa- 
say, I'm going to ease it on down to KC so she can ease, ease it on over to KC. There <laughs> we go. I think I think Cheryl was telling us we had to move in and take our place in the corporate world. We had to do that. Yes. OK. Long story. Old. It was her book, actually. OK, let's go to a quote from KC. This is from Back to the Future. 1985. We're going vintage here, ladies. 1985 fantasy sci-fi movie and Marty McFly played by the one and only still with us. Thank goodness. And he is managing Michael J. Fox and uh, just such an interesting movie and so many of my guests on my business shows use quotes from Doc Emmett Brown where we're going we won't need roads and uh, you can't appreciate it but your kids are going to love it lots of quotes Uh, Marty goes in a time machine created by the eccentric eccentric scientist Doc Emmett Brown and he takes them back to a time when Marty meets his wannabe his would-be parents and he has to make sure they get married and that he's born or else he ain't going to exist and he's got to go back on and on and on fascinating and there were three I think a trilogy of the movies but here's the quote you've picked this is one I'm not familiar with Casey so tell me you say if you put your mind to it you can accomplish anything talk to me how'd you find that in Back to the Future? Yeah, so that's in the first movie, and it's from George McFly, who's the dad, and you see kind of two parallel lives that he has. One is kind of the non-creative life, um, where he didn't take any risks, he's kind of very timid, shy, uh, unhappy, right, and you see how it affects his family. And then when Marty goes back in time, kind of resets the timeline a bit, um, he helps his dad kind of find that courage. And this becomes his dad's quote that starts with Marty. And it's actually um, his dad says it to him later on. He says, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And he says that at the end of the movie, handing his book to his son. And it's a really profound moment because it's a contrast to his life without creativity. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Red, about courageous creativity and how it's not just about coming up with ideas and being innovative, but also putting yourself out there and taking the risk and rolling with the punches. Um, So I love that quote, even though it sounds a little cliched, it's a moment uh, in the movie that just reminds me of, okay, it's important to put yourself out there Uh, It might not always work, but you have to try, especially um, with a creative mindset. Thank you very much. And Doc Emmett Brown was the creative force in the movie because he had the vision for the time machine and he took Marty with him and all kinds of things happened. And then Marty had to be creative in how he approached dealing with life back then and creating himself for his future life and then fly back to 1985. Very, very interesting. Thank you, ladies, for doing the work on getting me such interesting quotes. Now you've all sent me four statements on what creativity means to you. We've already talked about a lot of that, but I'm going to try and find one for each of you that I think is interesting. We'll add some more to your story. So I'm looking at Kelly Florence. I'm looking at your statement number three. I'll read it. You don't need to find it. Um, I'm going to read two things, number one and number three. I like them. I think they go together. So number one, you say creativity means allowing yourself to create without limitations. And that's a question of risk. Uh, Casey just mentioned that. And then the third one goes with it. You say being creative comes naturally to all of us, but it sometimes gets stifled as we get older. OMG. Kelly, can you defend that, please? <laughs> yeah. So I I teach communications and something that uh, we talk about in one of our chapters is how whoever we are, wherever we're born on the planet, we are all born um, 
and we express the same emotions in the same way. And it's not until we are born into our culture, our household, um, our upbringing, that we start to learn to hide certain things about us or mask them or emphasize them. And so we learn when we open a present and we don't like it to pretend like we like it and smile. Or maybe we were taught don't be proud, be humble. And so you start to not show that pride. And so I think sometimes we're born very creatively. We have a lot of creativity or a lot of talents or things that we are curious about and want to explore, but we're told not to do it for one reason or another, whether it's not um, if, if, if it's not polite or it's too scary that girls shouldn't like scary things, whatever it may be that we were told, we learn to hide the, some things about ourselves and and then bring out other aspects. And so I think being creative is being able to be yourself and follow those paths that you're interested in and passionate about and want to learn more about. Interesting. So I was afraid that what you said about being older means as we age, we are we less creative. Oh. <laughs> but you're, you're talking about relative from being a kid and being told. I was once told that I shouldn't win at a chess game when people were visiting our house for uh, at our summer house years ago because uh, the son of the people who came and I were playing playing chess. We we're probably sixth grade, and I was told let him win because he's the guest. It wasn't because he's a boy, it's because he was the guest. And I thought, isn't that an interesting thing to do? Because I really should have won that chess game. So I I took it under advisement. I don't remember whether I allowed him to win or not. I'm not really sure. Okay. Because it's a couple of months ago. You understand, sixth grade. We'll just, yeah. we'll just leave that one there. Thank you very much. Thank you for qualifying it and clarifying that, Kelly. I was getting a little worried. I said, what do you mean all people can't be creative? Oh, here we are. Thank you very much. Tiana, I'm looking at your... St- two statements from you. I love both. And we have plenty of time. So I'm going to read two for you. Number one, you say creativity happens when you don't force things to happen. Why don't you talk about that one first? And then I'm going to go to number two. Go ahead. Deanna. Well, and and I think someone said here kind of around limitations too. I think creativity gives you the space to uh, be a free thinker. Um, when you allow your, for me, you know, the best thoughts that I have are in the morning and the evening. And it's usually at the time where I'm at most peace, where I'm in reflection mode and I'm calm and I'm not, I'm not forcing myself to think about, you know, a to-do list or tasks or trying to, you know, problem solve. Um, and it's usually at a place again, where I'm most peaceful and kind of in time of reflection. So I think it allows us to be a free thinker. We don't force that to happen. A lot of mistakes were the result of some amazing invention, you know, um, throughout our history, things that just randomly happened because we were trying things out. We were exploring, we were experimenting. And then as a result, it turned out to be something incredible. And so that's the quote for the first one. That's kind of what I mean by that. Thank you very much. And the second one says, this is interesting, at the intersection of desperation and ambition, is creativity. I like the way you created the sentence because you could have started out with creativity is at the intersection of desperation, but you made us wait for the word at the end, right, Casey, (laughs) right? Kelly, that was a a, a clever trick. Sometimes you invert a sentence to make it more Mm -hmm. interesting. At the intersection, so I'm picturing the street, Mm -hmm. desperation and ambition is creativity or lies or lurks creativity. Tiana, not putting words in your mouth. You got, you can figure it out by yourself. What does this mean? Go ahead. And I'm speaking from experience, but I do think like when we are in a place where we have nowhere else where we can turn, we're trying to figure something out. You get very desperate. You kind of come down to the wire. Your last, 
you know, you know, thoughts are circling around or whatever that might be. And I'm, I'm thinking of problems that I've had to solve or clients that I've worked with. And, um, you know, you're at a place where you're losing almost is a sense of hope, some hopelessness sometimes as you're feeling and you're desperate, you're trying, you're pulling at all the straws and nothing's, you know, coming up. Um, but on the side of that, sometimes in solving uncomplicated or complex problems is this excitement of, wow, what if I do and what happens if, and it's kind of the what ifs that kind of reset or spark that interest. And so on the one end, there's this excitement and there's this ambition, like, well, what if I'm able to do this, but it's a little scary and I'm not really sure. And I'm kind of at, at the end of my you know rope and it's the end of the wire and you kind of bridge these two together. And you can literally fit a couple of different words in the inner, in that intersection. Sometimes I put excitement and uncertainty in that intersection. Um, there's a lot of these kind of com- comparing or contrasting words that we see, but I do think those again are where great ideas are birthed. Thank you very much. I have to tell you that I once broke up with somebody who is my live-in boyfriend in Great Neck, Long Island, at the corner on a very sunny, sunny <laughs> summer afternoon. And I looked up and I was at the corner of Grace Avenue and Bond Street. And I thought, how interesting, Grace and Bond. I did it wow. very calmly and quietly. And I said to him, I don't want to do this anymore. And I looked up and there was Bond Street. I was breaking the bond. It was so strange. It was like, I don't do woo-woo ladies, but it was like the universe was saying, this is the place and time. If you're going to do it, just be really calm. No yelling and screaming, no comment. I don't want to do this anymore. Go to my house, go to my apartment. You have the keys, start to pack your stuff up. I'll see you there later. And that was it. Grace and Bond. I wrote an, I wrote an article about it years ago. Anyway, interesting. Thank you very much. Casey, you wrote very, very long statements about your creativity. And I love these. I'm going to do these separately. We have time for this. So this is interesting. I'll read the first one and I'm going to do number two after that. You say one facet of creativity I cultivate. Now I'm quoting Casey Griffin is subverting expectations. For example, in my stories, I set up something familiar and then I tweak it, a character or a plot twist to surprise the reader. That's raising the bar, right? Go ahead. Talk to us a little bit. Casey, how do you do this? Sure. Yeah. One example I like to mention is Twilight Zone because they do this really well. Um, Also other shows, but, um, you know, the ending usually has some twist or something that just makes you sit up and say, oh, that that was different. That was interesting. Uh, So I try to do that in a lot of my stories. And the twist ending is only one way to do it. And if you're not careful, it can be a little corny or contrived. But other ways to do it is taking something that might be a stereotype or an archetype turning it on its head. And then you have a way to kind of make readers just think a little differently. Um, Another example of this is actually in my novel, The Weird Western. I really wanted women to be well represented. So they're in the character slots kind of 50-50. So you have women mayors and lawmakers, and it's just kind of the norm. And by subverting the expectation a little bit, you know, I hope readers kind of nudge a new way of thinking or just, oh, this is this is kind of different. Um, so I love any kind of story that that does that. I think it takes, um, you know, some introspection, some thought. You have to be really mindful of things like stereotypes or kind of typical plots. And, you know, you just take something familiar, twist it a little bit, and then hopefully you have something new. 
Thank you very much. That's like I used to do stand-up. I had my own troupe for a couple of years in, in Manhattan and on Long Island, and uh, some people call comedy set-up and punch. Well, that punch is the twist very often, or raise the bar, change mm-hmm. the expectation, go in a completely different direction, surprise the crap out of everybody, and they say, what? Where'd you get that? Okay. Now, I want to read your statement number two as well, Casey. This is interesting. I think the other ladies, I think you'll both resonate with this, or it'll resonate with you, Tiana and Kelly. She says, Tapping into creative work is essential to my well-being. That's the first time I think I've had people write Casey on the show, write me statements about I enjoy it or it's my downtime, but I don't think I've ever heard it put that way. Can you tell us a little more, Casey, please? Sure. Yeah. I think um, probably a lot of people who write from a young age feel it's kind of part of their psyche, right? Something they have to do. Uh, but I would say for me, I really felt it being essential is actually when I first became a parent, oddly enough, I think something about um, having kids and this realization that oh, life is limited, right? Um, kind of faced with my own mortality a bit, kicked me into high gear in terms of writing. And I felt like this is something I absolutely have to prioritize Um for whatever reason, right? And it became pretty essential for my well-being. I would say the pandemic also kind of kicked me into focus in that way as well. And it was just my stress reliever, my way of escaping the world, uh, my way of building a legacy kind of in a different way than family. Um, And then also just a different kind of mind break from the everyday tasks you have, right? I work Mm full-time as well. So those are very executive-focused tasks running a family, running a household, kind of all those logistical things, you can put them all aside when you sit down to write and you get into a flow state that is very different than kind of that everyday everyday lifestyle. So that recharges me and helps me, um, I guess, just live the life I want to live. Very well put. Let me just go to the other two ladies and see what they think. Tiana, I'm going to go to you next because you're on my screen sitting next to Casey and Kelly can gather her thoughts there. Tiana, what's your restorative time? What's your regroup? What's your well-being using creativity time? Can you share something with us? I my bed, I go to bed at 8.30 most days. I, I'm, I feel like I'm really good at taking care of myself. Um, I go to bed at 8.30. I wake up. Um, at a decent hour where I have quiet time, where I sit, I may read, um, whether it's affirmation or scripture, I walk in the morning. Usually walking is is, is also creative space for me, which is why I tr- make sure that I do it at least once a day, even if it's midday, take a break, walk around my community six times around is three miles. So, you know, I usually will do that or or a couple of laps. And so for me, I've carved out and it's actually on my calendar because if it's not on my calendar, mm-hmm. it does not exist and I won't do it. Yep. So I make it intentionality to carve it out on my calendar. When it pops up, I know, okay, break time or whatever I need to do. So for me, I and I say no. I say no to things at least once a day because for me, it, re- it reserves space for the things that I really want to say yes to. And saying yes to a lot of things sometimes occupies space um, that if it's too much, if it's overwork or overload or overcommitment, I don't necessarily want that. So I'm good at navigating and setting boundaries. So I feel like I have a really good rhythm of how I maintain my um, my my mental health, my well being around of around the creativity that I foster in the work that I do. You've created your life. I like that about making an appointment with yourself to do things. I've been doing that for years. I'll put placeholders. And before all my radio shows, I put in one hour before pre-show prep. 
for my business shows, for this, my creativity show. I put it in my calendar and it pops up on my screen. You've got 10 minutes till your prep starts. And I know, and it's talking to me and it's reminding me as if I could forget, but it's nice to know that I scheduled that time for me that I need. And my clock has been reset to that. Kelly Florence, talk to us about what's your regroup reset. What's your restore time? Is it creativity? Absolutely. I think creativity is essential every day just for uh, getting out of the monotony of tasks and creativity. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel uh, like a task. And I, I'm a big to-do list person. So I get setting the the things on the calendar. I love a to-do list. If I do something that wasn't on the list, I'll add it on there just to check it off and going for walks. Um, that's so important to that time to think and be with yourself, meditate, um, and then, and then be inspired by the things that you see in nature, the things around you also taking time to, um, read, uh, and variety of genres and watch uh, different TV shows and movies. All of that is part of, I think, growing as a creative and and getting new ideas and being exposed to to every everything that uh, other creatives have been doing. And so I think uh, I, I like that the term self-care has come about more recently. And we do need to take time for ourselves and our well-being in order to be the best that we can be in our daily lives. We're certainly trying. I'll tell you all a funny story. I tried to sell Mary Kay Cosmetics years ago when I was living in Eugene, Oregon. And you have no idea the places I went and the ruts my sports car got caught in and stuck in and the tow trucks I had to had to hire to take my car out of the mud of the farm and the demos I put on and the people I told how wonderful they were and I, they loved that lipstick and they never bought anything. But one of my lessons from the woman I in, in the, I won't call it the pyramid, I didn't say that, but in the Mary Kay hierarchy, she said, what you always want to do, and this was interesting, this was a guidepost. She said, make sure you're paper calendar. We carry a little calendar with us for booking appointments. Make sure you always have things filling in most of the times of the day in your calendar. So that if I were to say to you, Casey, I'd love to come and talk to you about lipstick or the latest blush or whatever. And I'm holding my calendar on the desk, on the chair, on the somewhere where you could see it upside down. You'd see that almost everything was filled and you'd say, oh, she's really busy. She must be a successful woman. I'd be lucky if she could get some time, <coughs> excuse me, to tell me about the damn lipstick if I want to do that. Anybody have any comment that we were supposed to be looking busy if we were going to be successful? I'm going to drink water here. Anybody want to jump in? I think it is one of those things, again, that we're taught uh, of talking about stifling creativity. Don't color outside the lines, look busy, always be, you know, sitting up straight posture, all of those things that we, we we start to naturally do because we're we're told to go. I think that was part of the lean in and be considered and be counted. Ladies, I'm sorry about the cough here. I want to move to the part of the show where I'm going to read you some very silly national holidays you've never heard of, I guarantee, and some celebrity birthdays. Comment on, jump in anytime. Today is the birthday of Stockard Channing, the wonderful actress, been in so many things. You recognize her name. And um, she is 79 today, believe it or not. She played Rizzo, the tough pink lady in Greece. She played Wisa Kittridge in Six Degrees of Separation with Will Smith. You'll be interested in this. She studied literature and history at Radcliffe College before she became an actress. And her TV debut was paying the number playing the number painter's victim on Sesame Street. I did not know that. <clears throat> I'm so choked up. I'm having such a good time with you. Let's go on. Jerry, the Sultan of Salaciousness Springer. 
he could be her twin. He's 79 today. Jerry Springer and Starker Channing. I didn't know this. Do you know where he was the mayor of before he started his TV show? Anybody know? No idea. Cincinnati. He was Cincinnati, yes. And he was uh, brought on to be a host on America's Got Talent with David Hasselhoff. And they got rid of him and replaced him with Nick Cannon. I think we might know why. Let me take a sip here. Peter Gabriel. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say two fun facts about Stockard Channing. Yes. Uh, the last musical I choreographed, you said you're also a dancer choreographer, Tiana, I was Grease. And also there's a new TV show based on Grease coming out on Paramount, Paramount Plus in April called The Rise of the Pink Ladies. So I, I love musicals. I'll be watching it. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Now I have to subscribe to Paramount Plus too. Since they made it all a menu, you know, I just signed up for Peacock and the other night it was HBO Max because what did I want to watch on HBO Max? Um, it wasn't the White Lotus. It was another show that was not on the regular Max and I had to had to buy that one. Uh, Peter Gabriel, the English musician from Genesis was born today, 72 years ago, and he launched a successful solo career, uh, Salisbury Hill, whatever that was. Robbie Williams. Anybody heard of Robbie Williams? He's a very successful musician from the boy band take that i had a guest on recently who just swore by robbie williams i i have never heard of him actually he set a world record when his 2006 solo tour sold 1.6 million concert tickets in one day can you imagine that and he played the artful dodger in oliver at his primary school Okay, and his single in 1998, Millennium, became his first number one single in the UK. Now, I have three social media celebrities, such as they are, who made it to the famous people calendar I use. I want you to be very impressed. We have a young woman named Saki Norris, who's 16 today, and she is on YouTube. She is one of the many famous Norris siblings on the YouTube channels, the Norris Nuts, Norris Nuts Do Stuff, and the Norris Nuts Squad. Casey, Kelly, Tiana, have any of you ever heard of the Norris Nuts? No. Great <laughs> not. Ni, ni moi non plus. Neither have I. The channel only has, here's the reason I picked it, 6 million subscribers. Only 6 million. Um, she also, she's 16. She runs a gaming channel, Norris Nuts Gaming, with 2 million plus subscribers. And she has her own cooking channel called Norris Nuts Cooking. All I can think of was, does a, does a young girl go to school? <laughs> how, how does she find time to do what the rest of us thought was important? Let's leave that one alone. Instagram, we have a young man named Matt Cutchell. C-U-T, young man, he's 38 today. C-U-T-S-H-A-L-L, Cutchell. He's a, he previously sang in a boy band. He only has 950,000 followers on Insta, only 950,000. And on Vine, he has more than a million. Just want you to know people are doing interesting things. And then on TikTok, we have um, a man named Brody Wellmaker, W-E-E-L-L-M-A-K-E-R. He's all of 32. He has 20 million followers. What does he do? Video. He's an actor known for his comedic reaction and duet videos. He plays multiple characters in his comedic videos, and he uses a green screen. 20 million followers. Uh, we celebrated the birthday of somebody on one of these social sites a couple weeks ago on one of my shows who was a slime creator, slime videos, and he had something like 25 million. And I said to my guests, we're all in the wrong business here. <clears throat> Let's go to events in music history, February 13th. We have just a couple minutes left. 1914, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. You all know that at ASCAP. 
was founded at the Hotel Claridge in New York City in 2014. Do you ever heard of an exotic dancer named Mata Hari? M-A-T-A-H-I-R-A? Oh, you're all too young. Oh, my God. She was a Dutch exotic dancer. Look her up. Mata Hari. She was arrested in Paris. They suspect her of being a German spy. What can I tell you? <clears throat> Lana Turner, the actress. You've all heard of Lana Turner. You must have. 1940. She was 19 years old. She wed a 29-year-old band leader, the famous Artie Shaw, in Las Vegas. They eloped. How long do you think the marriage lasted? Two years. Four months. Okay. That's probably set a record. Uh, Jerry Lewis, the, the genius on TV and film who had the telethon every year. <clears throat> he married his second wife. They didn't say if they ever got divorced. Today, on, a couple of days ago, February 10th, 1942, the first ever gold record was issued to a music, by a music label. The Glenn Miller Orchestra, which was popular, big band, pre-World War II, had the hits In the Mood, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, have I done the Lindy to that one, Moonlight Serenade, Moonlight Serenade, I killed that one, and Chattanooga Choo Choo, coming aboard, we're on the Chattanooga Choo Choo. The success of Chattanooga Choo Choo let RCA Victor, the label, issue the first ever gold record for sales of 1.2 million copies, and that became the standard for the record recording industry of America, their standard. Silver was 250000 gold is 500000 and more, platinum a million, and diamond $10 million. And on February 9th in 1964 was the first appearance by the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. How about that? And I think my grandmother was watching, and she called us up, and she said, Girls, turn on Ed Sullivan. She called him Ed Sullivan. There's these four boys. I think they're wearing wigs. They're singing. Goodbye. And then she hung up. She called us every <laughs> Sunday night and told us what Ed Sullivan on. Today is Get a Different Name Day, created by Ruth and Tom Roy. They said you can change your name today to any... I know it's late in the game already, ladies. You could have. Change your name to anything and expect people to call you that name at least for one day. And they say it dates back to Abraham in the Bible, who changed his name from Abram, A-B-R-A-M, to Abraham from exalted father to multitude, and Sarah was Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. She changed it to Sarah. Today is Galantine's Day. Anybody remember Parks and Rec? Parks and Rec, they had a holiday about declaring the girls in your life that you on your support system. Go girl power. It's National Cheddar Day, created, of course, by the Tillamook County Creamery. I buy Tillamook ice cream. It's expensive and wow. And they keep putting it on sale at Food Lion, and I have to buy it every time it's on sale because, Tiana, you know there's no calories when you buy ice cream on half price. There just isn't. <laughs> um, it is National Wingman Day. That's more bring somebody along. And I hate to tell you this, but there's something called National Poop Day, and today is that day. It was created at the Children's Museum, and the children passed a referendum that they wanted to to celebrate that. Ladies, ladies, we're almost out of time. Let's see if I've gotten the signal here. Three minutes. Okay. I want you all to give me your website. Where do you want people to find you? Kelly Florence, you're first. Go. My name, kellyflorence.com. K-E-L-L-Y-F-L-O-R-E-N-C-E.com. Thank you, Tiana Sanchez. Where? Same. It's tianasanchez.com. Really easy. T-I-A-N-A-S-A-N-C-H-E-Z.com. Ms. Griffin, where? Mine is the same, uh, KC Griffin, K-C-G-R-I-F-A-N-T dot com. I've never had three guests who had their names, their name websites as their namesakes. That makes it so wonderful. Thank you very much. I want to do a shout out to the people who sent you to me, Mickey Mickelson, for introducing me to Kelly and to Casey and Liz H. Kelly. There's that H to Tiana Sanchez. Thank you all for coming on. Stay on. I want to talk to you for a few minutes after. I want to thank Josh, my engineer at Voice America. We've been listening. You've been listening to us live on the Empowerment Channel and Facebook. We're not quite off the air yet. Ladies, here's my closing. Get ready to smile. Life is short. Break the rules. I think we've all been doing that. Forgive quickly, kiss 
slowly. It's the only way. Trust me. Love truly. Laugh uncontrollably. Ladies, join me for three seconds. Laughs uncontrollably. <laughs> Come on, you can do better than that. <laughs> That's it. Break the mic and never regret anything that made you smile. And finally, work like you don't need the money because nobody else really cares. If you do, do it. Dance like no one's watching. When I was teaching disco on top of a tabletop at high school cafeteria and an auditorium in somewhere in Eugene, Oregon, everybody watched. Sing like no Nobody's listening. I tried not to sing to you, and it wasn't too bad. Ease on down the road. And love like you've never been hurt, because we all have. Get over it. Money talks. Chocolate sings. Last but not least, and I stole this line from somebody. Thank you for turning me on. Radio Red signing off. Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio, presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.